Chapter Four of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four, women writers, Madame Roland. Quote, she whose glory casts in shade France and her best and bravest. W. S. Lander. For centuries, no period of French history has been without its women writers. The Middle Age had its Marie de France and Christine de Pizan the renaissance its marguerite de navarre the seventeenth century its madame de sévigné the eighteenth its madame de lambert and its madame d'epinay and so we come to the revolution when authoresses were more numerous and wrote more than ever before the revolution established the title of women to rank among the great writers of their period in truth the most brilliant of all the revolution authors was a woman madame de stal and next to her comes madame roland a comparison between the two is inevitable while in several branches of literature madame de stal was unequalled in her day in one particular branch the memoir madame roland was unsurpassed in her own time and almost in any period of french literature in the actual making of the revolution during its three most critical years seventeen ninety seventeen ninety one and seventeen ninety two madame roland was more intimately involved than madame de stal though the two women lived in the same city and worked in the same cause there is no reason to believe that they ever met madame de stal in her books on the revolution never even refers to madame roland madame roland only once mentions madame de stal whose name she does not even know how to spell correctly in a letter found among the papers of brissot the girondist leader after his death madame roland writes from lyon on the twenty second of november seventeen eighty nine stories are told here of madame de stal who is said to be very assiduous in her attendance at the assembly where she is reported to have admirers among the speakers and to send them notes to encourage and support them when they move patriotic resolutions it is added that the spanish ambassador at her father's table reproached her with doing this you can't think the importance our aristocrats attach to such trifles which very likely proceed from their own imagination but they want to represent the assembly as guided by a few wild enthusiasts and animated by some ten women in influence character and temperament madame de stal and madame roland differed widely madame de stal's influence was mainly literary madame roland's mainly political they regarded the revolution from different angles for each was essentially of her class madame de stal a great lady madame roland a bourgeoise with madame de stal the heart came first with madame roland the reason nevertheless the emotional effervescent madame de stal succeeded in producing one of the sanest judgments of the revolution and this because she wrote it years after the events she was considering when the fever of the great upheaval had cooled down rational madame roland on the other hand when she came to her memoirs thought with her heart as she said for they were penned in the white heat of the revolution in prison while the knife of the guillotine hung suspended over her head and over the heads of all those she loved most dearly and to whom she had looked for her country's salvation no wonder that even this reasonable woman who had kept herself so well in hand through four years of party strife now let herself go and wrote bitter pages les mémoires envenimées de la citoyenne ministre robespierre called them one bond however there was between them madame de stal and madame roland drew their literary inspiration from the same source they were both ardent disciples of jean jacques but the genius of madame de stal moulded part of the master's teaching to her own use the rest she never fully realized 
his love of nature for example was utterly foreign to the nature of the town-bred salonniere who when gazing on the bay of naples longed for the gutters of the rue de bac and who said that she might have taken some interest in agriculture if only it had smelt less of manure madame roland was also town-bred but she followed her master implicitly and she instinctively shared his passion for the country elle savait écouter la nature dans ses secrets solitudes says saint beuve but in following rousseau along other paths especially in an excess of candour we may hope she was doing violence to her own nature that madame de stal could ever have followed her master in this direction is unthinkable marie-jeanne flipon later madame roland was born in seventeen fifty four the only living child of an unsuccessful paris engraver for dowry her mother had little more than a heavenly soul and a charming countenance marie-jeanne's parents therefore could endow their child with no great store of worldly goods nature was kind to her however lavishing upon her rich gifts of body and spirit though in the detailed portrait of herself at fourteen that madame roland paints in her memoirs she does ample justice to her virtues she underrates her physical attractiveness true it resided rather in the charm of her expression than in the regularity of her features although as she tells us her mouth was large her hazel eyes small but prominent her nose too big at the tip her forehead high and imposing there were many who found her loveliness entrancing one who knew her before seventeen eighty nine wrote that her eyes figure and hair of hazel colour were of remarkable beauty and her delicate complexion was of a freshness and brilliance which united to her air of reserve and purity made her appear singularly young at a very early age manon began to develop that intellectual curiosity which was to render her the best educated woman of her time il fallait toujours que j'apprise quelque chose she writes her father though otherwise no ideal parent knew the value of a good education and saw to it despite his narrow means that his daughter had excellent teachers her mother a woman of culture taste and judgment was admirably fitted to aid and direct manon's studies manon was unable to remember a time when she could not read at eight she was carrying plutarch's lives with her to church in lieu of a breviary she had discovered the author whose influence was to dominate her life as it did that of so many other leaders of the revolution her admiration for plutarch's heroes as well as other incidents and preferences described in her memoirs show how early she developed tendencies which growing more and more pronounced were to determine her career and lead her to a martyr's heroic death the injustice of social inequalities troubled her even in childhood when paying an afternoon call with her grandmother on some lady of title she wonders why ever the hostess should sit in an armchair and her visitor on a stool tabouret manon was indeed a born democrat her republican sympathies were strengthened by her reading of eighteenth-century philosophers and some years later by a visit to versailles through the influence of a powerful friend madame and mademoiselle flipon were actually invited to stay in the palace there they enjoyed the inexpressible privilege of occupying two insanitary odoriferous garrets separated by only a slight partition from the apartments of no less a personage than the archbishop of paris for most of the inhabitants of the palace the great event of every day was watching the royal family feed but manon was never happy except in the gardens she was born a democrat and this week's visit made her a rabid republican so when after a little of this royal splendour her mother asked whether she was pleased with her visit she replied yes 
provided it soon comes to an end but in a few days my loathing for these people will become uncontrollable her first great sorrow came to her at the age of nineteen when she lost her wise and excellent mother this sad event closed what she has described as the happiest period of her life by this time she found herself without any orthodox religion although she had at one time been so ardent a catholic that she had thought of becoming a nun the years that now followed she writes made me acquainted with adversity this was largely on account of her father's conduct deprived of his wife's counsel and influence m fripon speculated rashly and indulged in other excesses which threatened to dissipate manon's meagre competency inherited from her mother as a protection against her father's extravagance she was obliged to have recourse to that typical french institution the family council on whose advice after she had attained her majority at the age of twenty-five she went as boarder to the convent where she had taken her first communion by this time according to the ideas of that day marie flipon was drawing dangerously near old maidenhood the position however was of her own choosing for she had received numerous offers of marriage from suitors of all ranks and conditions in life from a doctor to a diamond merchant from an accommodation to a grocer but none of them pleased her none realized the high idea she had formed of a husband one admirer however she favoured this was a grave and learned gentleman twenty years her senior roland de la platriere who was government inspector of factories at amiens she had permitted him to ask her father's consent to their marriage m flipon had refused and somewhat brutally that was before her majority at twenty-five manon took the matter into her own hands and when her elderly suitor next visited her at the convent grate she promised to marry him she never pretended to be in love but looked to find her happiness so she wrote to a girl-friend in the inexpressible charm of contributing to his then followed eight tranquil years of daily duties punctually performed she became a mother the mother of a daughter Eudora, who long survived her she travelled in england and switzerland she and her husband were living at lyons when the revolution broke out they hailed it with delight it seemed to them to promise the millennium at the feast of the federation on the thirtieth of may seventeen ninety representatives of half the nation assembled at lyons madame roland was up betimes mingling with the crowds of holiday-makers on the quays intoxicated by the sight of this new brotherhood of mankind this wonderful birth of a new world that evening she wrote for the patriotic newspaper le courrier de lyons edited by her friends lantenat and champagneux an anonymous account of the day's proceedings sixty thousand copies were sold it was not her first literary effort from her earliest childhood writing had been one of her favourite recreations her ready pen in later years was to render service and perhaps disservice to the revolution roland at that time government factory inspector at lyons had become a member of the municipal council and in the following year he was appointed to go to paris to represent the commercial difficulties of the city to the legislative assembly accompanied by his wife he arrived in the capital on the twentieth of february seventeen ninety one the rolands lodged in the hotel britannique rue guenegaud and now madame roland plunged into the intellectual joys of the metropolis there is no place like it she wrote nowhere are the sciences arts great men intellectual resources of every kind so admirably united the moment of her return to paris was one of the most critical in the whole revolution much that it had set out to accomplish had been achieved 
class privileges had been abolished something like a constitutional monarchy had been established the moderate party of lafayette and la bourgeoisie were fairly contented but among the lower orders a seething mass of discontent was beginning to make itself felt and its spokesmen were new and young men robespierre brissot pétion buzot vergniaud they and others of like opinion soon formed the habit of meeting at the Rolands hotel four times a week one of madame roland's friends and probably one of her guests at that time may have been the eccentric englishwoman helen maria williams then living in paris who was later to share madame roland's fate of imprisonment although she escaped the final sacrifice most of those who frequented madame roland's first salon were members of the jacobin club and all except robespierre became prominent in the girondist party madame roland as we have said joined the fraternal society which was affiliated to the jacobin club but she cannot have attended their meetings often neither except during the first days after her arrival did she go much to the constituent assembly where the interminable debates leading to nothing the insolence and ill-breeding of the left the superciliousness of the right irritated her i lived chiefly at home as was my custom she told her judges at her trial i was not in good health and i saw few people those few people however were the people who counted and though on those four evenings a week when they assembled in her rooms she would sit apart apparently absorbed in needlework or letter-writing not a word of their discussions escaped her and ere long her subtle influence made itself felt she was far from being one of those who considered the revolution had gone far enough she and her friends soon began to desire a republic even if it involved civil war in fact she was not by any means averse to civil war towards the autumn of seventeen ninety one the rolands returned to lyon but only for a short time the fifteenth of december found them back again in paris lodging this time in gloomy apartments in the rue st jacques rolands post of inspector having been abolished he returned to claim the pension to which he was entitled after thirty-eight years of service during the months that followed he attended assiduously the meetings of the legislative assembly and became one of the most strenuous members of the committee of the jacobin club his stern uncompromising virtue so won the respect of the legislators that when in march seventeen ninety two the king was advised to form a ministry of patriots roland was invited to take the portfolio of the interior madame roland tells how the suggestion came to her as a complete surprise brissot dropped in one evening when she was alone and spoke of it she took it as a joke but brissot insisted and she promised to sound her husband on the subject three days later he accepted the office then we see the quakerish roland in puritan costume round hat and strings in his shoes kissing hands at the tuileries ah sir no shoe buckles the horror-struck master of the ceremonies whispered to general dumouriez ah sir all is lost replied the general who tells the story roland now took his wife away from their dull lodgings in the rue st jacques to the sumptuous gilded saloons and the venetian mirrors of the ministry of the interior here once a week during her husband's first term of office twice during his second madame roland gave a dinner-party to men only the extravagance of these entertainments was one of the many charges brought against her during her trial in her memoirs she insists on the simplicity even the austerity of these repasts served with taste and care it is true but without profusion and consisting of one course only the guests numbered usually fifteen sometimes eighteen and once twenty 
these gatherings like the revolution itself had an international character an Clutz, tom paine and david williams sat at the ministerial board on other days of the week the Rolands spent the evening tete-a-tete busily occupied with public affairs postponing the hour of their simple meal until it became so late that their daughter could not join them having supped upstairs in her own room with her governess from a psychological point of view madame roland's description of her life at this time is one of the most interesting chapters of her autobiography for here we find her with unconscious inconsistency attempting in one sentence to prove that she had nothing whatever to do with public affairs and in the next showing how deep and how potent was the influence she exercised over them in one of these notable passages madame roland wrote i love study as much as i hate cards and am bored by the society of fools accustomed to stay at home i shared roland's work and cultivated my personal tastes i continued this simple life at the ministry i never kept a salon i gave a dinner twice a week to ministers and deputies whom my husband needed to see and to talk to about his work they discussed state affairs in my presence because they knew i would not interfere and that my associates might be trusted out of all the rooms of the vast apartment i had chosen for my own daily habitation the smallest of all a little cabinet in which i had my books and my bureau it often happened that friends and colleagues who wanted a confidential talk with the minister instead of going straight to him in his room where he would be surrounded by his clerk and others would come to me and ask me to call him into my cabinet thus without either intrigue or vain curiosity i found myself in the heart of things roland delighted afterwards to discuss these matters with me in private and with that confidence which ever reigned between us and caused us to hold all our knowledge and all our views in common thus it came about that friends who had any information to communicate or opinion to express certain of always finding me would come and ask me to pass it on to the minister at the first opportunity no wonder that louvet the author of faublas once said to roland thy wife is a greater man than thyself she was indeed the soul of that girondist party which had been cradled in her boudoir in the hotel britannique why do they not take a man for their leader cried danton the most deadly among madame roland's many enemies in the spring of seventeen ninety two the girondists who were now at the height of their power were very sanguine madame roland says she did not share the illusions of her husband and his colleagues they were delighted with the frame of mind in which they found the king they flattered themselves that the revolution was over and a better order of things assured every time i see you set out for the council in that mood said madame roland to her husband i feel convinced that you are about to commit some folly and even for these buoyant ministers disillusionment did not tarry it soon became obvious that the king was incapable of real seriousness the most important and urgent decisions were postponed while priceless time was frittered away in meaningless discussions when the question was war the king would discourse at length on travel when negotiations he would discuss the customs of various lands the royal council is little better than a cafe exclaimed madame roland it would be better for you she told her husband to spend three hours in solitary meditation on weighty affairs than to waste your time in such futilities roland soon began to share his wife's opinion and when the king at length made up his mind to refuse his sanction to two decrees one condemning to banishment all priests who refused to take the oath to the constitution 
and the other establishing a camp of twenty thousand men near paris the minister of interior felt himself useless a letter was composed chiefly it is thought by madame roland and sent to the king this epistle though the writer was proud of it appears to-day a sorry document long-winded tactless and worse impertinent and foolish of course it produced the desired effect roland and his girondist colleagues were dismissed on the twelfth of june seventeen ninety two madame roland exchanged her gorgeous apartments in the ministry of the interior for a flat on an upper floor of the old house in the rue st jacques but here she was hardly less influential than at the ministry here she continued to gather around her a steadily increasing circle of friends most of them young men whose adoration of her was a part of their politics then on the momentous tenth of august roland with his girondist colleagues was recalled to the ministry the five months of roland's second ministry were fraught with disaster for his country his king his party and his own reputation madame roland admitted that throughout she was her husband's counsellor she advised him badly but who would have done better for there was never a more perplexing situation the opposition between la gironde and la montagne or the jacobins was coming to a head yet both parties were represented in the ministry roland had therefore to contend against enemies within the cabinet these enemies actually presumed to bring an accusation against madame roland she was charged with having treacherous dealings with england madame roland appeared before the bar of the convention came writes carlyle in her high clearness her beautiful voice trembled amidst the favourable and the attentive silence of the assembly this voice of a lovely woman heard for the first time at the convention's bar it convicted her accuser of impudence it dissipated him into despicability and air the friends of order applauded robespierre himself despised the ridiculous conspiracy against her he smiled for the last time at his former friend's beauty and innocence while madame roland triumphed her husband alas had been steadily losing ground in public opinion and in that of his colleagues barely a fortnight after his accession to office on the twenty third of august when the rapidly advancing prussians took longwy roland had urged the government's retirement to blois and had given danton the opportunity of successfully opposing that unpopular suggestion a week later began the massacre of prisoners the minister of the interior either could not or would not stay their hideous progress fabre d'eglantine said in the jacobin club on the first day of the massacre september the second that he had seen roland in the garden of the ministry of foreign affairs beating his head against a tree while he cried out that the government must fly to tours or to blois later he publicly announced that at the beginning he had not completely disapproved that he merely blamed the continuance of the massacres when the convention met on the twenty first of september the opposition between la montagne and la gironde had intensified during a debate on the condition of the country an accusation was made against robespierre of which roland had fifteen thousand copies printed at the government's expense for circulation in the provinces then in november came the affair of the iron safe a locksmith revealed to roland its existence behind a secret panel in the tuileries and the minister instead of at once putting all the documents it contained under seal until they could be examined on the spot by a commission of the assembly had them placed in a portfolio and brought to the ministry this unwise action laid him open to the charge of having destroyed certain papers which might have incriminated his party 
about this time roland and the girondists were further weakened by the discussions which began as to the king's fate the minister of the interior and the girondists strongly advocated the taking of a plebiscite roland probably under his wife's dictation appealed to the nation in its favour in a pamphlet entitled can it be contested that the sovereign people has the right to pardon louis capet and how can it exercise that right if it not be consulted the king's condemnation on the eighteenth of january seventeen ninety three and his execution three days later determined the fall of la gironde on the following day roland sent in his resignation four months later on the thirty first of may a warrant was issued for his arrest while having been mourned by a friend he fled to a place of safety his wife remembering her recent triumph at the bar of the convention demanded to be heard in his defence instead on that very night by order of the commune she herself was arrested on no specific charge and lodged in the abbaye prison as the doors of her prison closed on this brave woman writes lamartine all the virtues the faults the hopes the repentance and the heroism of her party seemed to enter the dungeon with her on the twenty fourth of june she was released from the abbaye but barely had she entered her house when she was rearrested and sent to st pelagie the prison for prostitutes for five months she was kept in prison without any definite accusation being brought against her then her fate became strangely linked with that of another great heroine of the revolution charlotte corday on her arrival in paris marat's assassin had as we shall see gone with a letter of introduction to the girondist deputy duperret duperret's association with the slayer of the people's friend had led to his arrest and during his trial there had been found among his papers letters from madame roland sympathizing with the girondist deputies who after the movement in paris against them had taken refuge at caen this was enough to involve madame roland in the accusations then being brought against her former friends brissot vergniaud and others she was summoned to appear as a witness at their trial the long silence to which she had been condemned in prison had irked her even more than her confinement she remembered her triumph at the bar of the convention in the previous winter and now she welcomed with delight the opportunity of using her eloquence on her friend's behalf i had resolved to thunder without reserve she wrote to her friend busk and then to make an end so she had written to busk asking him to send her poison this she had intended to take as soon as her speech was over but she was denied both the poison and the opportunity of thundering busk refused her the means of self-destruction the court the occasion for a display of her eloquence though summoned to the trial she was not called as a witness all she could do was write a protest against the trial observation rapide sur l'acte d'accusation contre les députés par amar this and her memoirs three hundred pages written in twenty-two days and a correspondence with her friends occupied the wearisome days of her captivity she was also re-reading tacitus who was now her favourite author she had to write almost under the eyes of her jailers with the warders always at her heels when she received her rare visitors nevertheless throughout her correspondence and to all who were permitted to visit her she appeared amazingly self-possessed and even cheerful ever deeply solicitous for her friends for myself i have nothing to lose she wrote but i am so apprehensive for all who approach me that yesterday at the palais palace of justice i hesitated to return the salute of a man i knew and for whom i feared the imprudence of recognizing me in public when at last on the first of november she was brought to trial 
her heroism persisted to the end throughout the two days of interrogation followed by the passing of the death sentence throughout all the terrible preparations for death on the scaffold she remained perfectly calm do not come into court to-morrow she said to her counsel chauvenot lagarde on the eve of her execution you would ruin yourself without saving me with complete self-possession as she passed by her fellow-prisoners to her cell she smilingly drew her hand over the back of her neck making the agreed sign that the death sentence had been passed on the tumbrel as she journeyed for the last time through the streets of her beloved paris from the conciergerie prison to the place de la revolution amidst the howls of the mob she maintained perfect serenity her one concern seemed to be to cheer her companion an assignat printer who was seized with panic finally arrived at the guillotine fearing lest the horror of seeing her suffer would be too much for him she asked the executioner to permit him to be the first to die do not refuse a woman's last entreaty she implored when he hesitated and her prayer was granted thus in the deepening twilight of a november afternoon the ninth of the month this beautiful courageous woman died whether turning towards the colossal statue of liberty on the square she uttered the words tradition has attributed to her whether she sighed o liberty what crimes have been committed in thy name or according to another version o liberty how they have tricked thee matters not for whether or no she expressed them these sentiments had been hers through all the bitter days of disappointment and disillusion a male mind a stoical heart some have called her and so at times she appeared in those admirable memoirs which seem often to have been written rather by the sword of a cato than by the pen of a woman but there was another side to her nature in prison putting away her pen alone save for the presence of one female attendant she would lean on the window-sill and weep for three hours at a time despite that grandly courageous demeanour there were tears in her eyes as she turned away from the judgment-hall where her doom had been pronounced and all the greater was her courage because of the tenderness and fears of which her heart was capable femme très femme saint beuve calls her separate madame roland from the revolution and she appears quite different wrote the comte de bugnot of madame roland in prison no one could better define the duties of a wife and mother when she spoke of her daughter and her husband her eyes filled with tears the party woman had disappeared lamartine's opinion of her is that happy and beloved she would have been but a woman unhappy and lonely she became the leader of a party but beloved surely few women have been more beloved her husband in his austere way adored her when the news of her execution reached him in his place of refuge he went out and by the wayside took a dart which he had concealed in his cane and resting the hilt upon the trunk of an apple-tree leant upon it so that it pierced his heart for the leaders of the girondist party their adoration of madame roland was a religion the poor fallen women who were her fellow-prisoners at la pelagie worshipped her immediately she appeared in the courtyard all brawls and disputes were silenced the squalid crowd pressed around her as if she were a tutelary goddess but lamartine used that word beloved in a special sense to indicate the craving of a passionate woman's heart for something more than the stern affection of a pedantic husband more than the filial devotion of a daughter or the esteem of political partisans or the ardent admiration of many intimate friends or the loving gratitude of those whom she comforted in prison 
lamartine when he employed that word beloved may have had in mind allusions in madame roland's memoirs which long aroused the curiosity of her readers here is one of them i honour i cherish my husband as an affectionate daughter adores a virtuous father to whom she will sacrifice even her lover but i have found the man who might be that lover and while i remained true to my duty i was not clever enough to hide the sentiment which i never allowed to prevail over my sense of duty my husband extremely sensitive wounded in his affection and his self-respect could not endure the idea of the slightest derogation from his sway his mind grew sombre his jealousy irritated me happiness fled from us he adored me i sacrificed myself to him and we were unhappy earlier she had written of a tempest of passion from which an athlete's vigour barely succeeded in delivering her mature years who was the man who might have been her lover who had aroused that tempest of forbidden passion this beautiful woman had always around her a band of devoted admirers être dévoué et doux saint beuve calls them tels que les femmes honnêtes pourraient en garder près d'elles sans inconvénient pendant une éternité was the man who might be loved one of these was it busque always devoted was it lantenat the friend of the family was it barbarou the antinous of marseilles michelet thought it was bancal des Isards. saint beuve believed that a sacred veil would for ever hide the object of the passion which more and more tumultuously as death approached surged through that noble soul but michelet and saint beuve were alike mistaken and saint beuve was to live to see the rending of that sacred veil twenty-nine years after he had written those words a paris bookseller the father of anatole france announced for sale by auction among other revolution documents a packet of madame roland's letters straightway two gentlemen a monsieur d'auban and a monsieur faugère each separately engaged on a new edition of madame roland's memoirs took their way to the shop of pere france on the quai voltaire each intending to purchase the letters before the sale took place the first visitor m faugere did not succeed in making the desired bargain it was m d'auban who acquired the precious manuscripts these letters contained the key to the mystery by a curious irony of fate however their happy possessor whose siege was done apparently neglected to make full use of them it was left for his rival faugere when the manuscripts of the letters were deposited in the national library to complete his edition to re-read the original in the light of the letters and to restore the passages in the memoirs which earlier editors had omitted one of these passages which had most perplexed earlier editors was the following le malheureux ne supportera pas longtemps un tel coup madame roland referred to her death in the blank space was an initial indistinctly written it might be an r but it more closely resembled a b busque the first editor had suppressed the passage d'auban reproduced it with the initial r which he took to indicate roland faugere insisted that the enigmatical letter was a b and why because of information contained in these letters for here in these pages clasped the hands of two hitherto unrecognized lovers these letters over which d'aubin and faugere had quarrelled solved the mystery they were passionate love-letters written by madame roland to buzot a member of the convention and a girondist leader to buzot she referred when she wrote of the man who might have been her lover the suppression of that passage by busque who published the memoir for the benefit of the writer's daughter 
if the enigmatical initial referred to Bizot, was perfectly comprehensible had it indicated roland its omission would have been inexcusable in these letters written in prison with death on the scaffold awaiting her she tells buzot that she welcomes her captivity because suffering instead of roland it enables her in some measure to atone for her heart's infidelity to her excellent husband also do you not see she adds that being alone i remain with you do not pity me others admire my courage but they know nothing of my joys when his letters came to her in prison how many times i re-read them she exclaimed i press them to my heart i cover them with kisses i had lost hope of receiving any letters from you until i heard of your escape i suffered the cruelest anguish it was intensified by the news of your accusation your courage merited such an atrocity as soon as i knew you were in calvados my anxiety was allayed now in the full light of this new discovery could be read that eloquent passage in the mémoires mes dernières pensées addressed to bizot toi que je n'ose nommer thou who shall be better known on the day when our common misfortune shall be recognized thou whom the most terrible of the passions hindered not from respecting the barriers of virtue wilt thou grieve when thou seest me precede thee to a place where we may love one another in innocence where there shall be nothing to prevent our union buzot included in the general accusation brought by the jacobin government against the girondist leaders had fled first to his native province normandy then to la gironde there some few weeks after madame roland's execution in company with his comrade pétion he died by his own hand femme très femme as we have said has been the usual verdict passed upon madame roland yet there was one who manlike no doubt thinking to praise her described her as une femme qui était un grand homme End of chapter four